welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey, welcome to Church at The Well. I got a question for you to think about, discuss, if you're on your own, to just reflect on, if you're with other people or you can text. What do you, or maybe did you, dream about becoming one day? like for your work or your vocation? What do you dream about becoming one day or what did you dream about becoming one day? Just take a moment and think about that or talk about that if you're with someone else. Maybe you wouldn't use the word dream. Maybe it's desire, goals. What were you gunning for? What were you going to be? <laughs> well, I can tell you in my life, I never dreamed about becoming the brand manager of Jell-O. That was never one of my dreams, but it was one of my jobs. <laughs> I never dreamed about becoming a pastor of a church, but I am a pastor of a church. Many of us have what we would say dreams, um, uh, the kinds of people we want to be in terms of our job or vacation or what, what we're going to do um, for a living. Uh, maybe it has a certain title with it, or maybe we wouldn't use the word dream, but we have desires or we have goals. Some of us would say, yeah, those things are still kind of ahead of us, um, mostly, and we haven't gotten close to it. Others, we say, oh, I'm chasing it. I'm right in the middle of it. Others would say, well, actually, I'm on the other side of it. Maybe some of us would say, yeah, I'm close, or I did achieve it, or my dreams have changed over time. Um, some of us would say, yeah, like I, I, <laughs> I didn't actually achieve them at all. Some people would say, I don't have any dreams. I don't have any goals. I don't have any you know, plans for that. Like I didn't say, well, I need to get this certification or I need to get that um, you know, apprenticeship or I need to go to this school or this is what I need in order to get that. Things just happen. This, this is just kind of the way it goes. Now, wherever you happen to be, if you have been working at work for any period of time, um, you will encounter difficulties, um, setbacks, obstacles, challenges, and uh, disappointments. Sometimes we have an experience of like, oh yeah, I had to let go of dreams or the things, even sometimes disappointment when we got to where we wanted to go, the goals we set for ourselves, the dreams we hoped to achieve. When they became a reality, there was something about it that said, ah, oh, this is not or not the way or it cost me too much. The reality is over any period of time, it is possible for work, if I can say it this way, to become a four-letter word <laughs> because of both the circumstances and the people, right? That in our life's work, in pursuit of our dreams, in pursuit of our goals, in pursuit of our desires for what we hope to be or want to be or eventually would be or what we had always planned to be or what our parents were hoping we would be, right? When we've encountered obstacles, setbacks, criticism, failures, disappointment, um, costly experiences. Like it, it, it's 
it's man, it's actually drained us or it's been a stressor. And not just the circumstances, the people have been difficult. Maybe the people have been obstacles in our way. Maybe the people have been the sources of criticism or setbacks. Maybe people have told us we can't or what wouldn't help us to get to where we wanted to go. Or the ones we're doing it with, whether people we're working with or working for or who are working for us, they present challenges, difficulties in the pursuit of our dreams and our goals. And that's just the reality for if you've worked for any length of time, or even if you're a student, you might have experienced that as well. Now, our culture's response is, hey, like, you know, just get another dream, or you can do whatever you set your heart. Don't give up. You know, all the commercials on TV or interest stories, or maybe your favorite sort of artist or athlete or business person or whatever, or leader saying, oh, I encountered all these obstacles, but never give up. Don't let anyone tell you you can't go after your dream. Or people say, hey, even if you don't have your dream, at least you have money. Or, hey, if you don't have money, at least you have fame. Like, those are things worth going after. Or, you know, at least you can retire soon. <laughs> retire one day, right? Retirement is sort of the new nirvana in a world where work can be a four-letter word. And retirement promises us relief from it. Like, you never hear the, um, the, you know, the dream coach they have for, like, the lottery. You hear them on the radio or whatever. The dream coach never says, hey, imagine you could keep working at your job even though you don't have to, right? That's not part of the dream, right? Because we want to retire. We want to stop dealing with this thing that has become a four-letter word. But in our, the premise of our series is saying, hey, if you're going to have to go through something for a long period of time and work is something more, you'll do more than anything else other than even sleep. And sometimes we trade off sleep because we're working more. That we want to be people that are resilient in our work. That is that we are getting better, not bitter at our life's work. That we're getting better, not bitter at our life's work. Because more than the achievement of your dreams, more than goals, more than the certifications, there's something you cannot live without in this thing that you're going to do, they say, for over 100,000 hours in your life. You need resilience. You do not want to become bitter. You want to become better. And here's the great news. You don't need to change your job or change your dreams or change your goals or change your certification or change your education or change your environment in order to get resilience. In fact, none of the circumstances could change and everything could change if you could get more resilient in your work. One of the interesting things you'll find is that the writers of the Bible are not naive uh, or disconnected or overly optimistic even when it comes to work. The Bible has over 1,100 chapters in it. And in chapter three, right off the top, it tells us that work is a cursed blessing. Work is a cursed blessing. That work originally was given to us, that the Bible opens with God at work, man doing manual labor, creating, making things beautiful, working with his hands, working with his mind, working with his creativity, and then inviting human beings to join him in that work. Work was a gift, something that was supposed to be fulfilling, that was supposed to engage our hands, our minds, our hearts, our spirit, everything, and to, to find enjoyment in it. And yet, and sin comes into the world, it curses work. It doesn't mean that everything is, the work is terrible now. It just means that everything beautiful about work is also broken. That work, just like everything else in the world, is beautiful, made beautiful, but also is broken. That it's infected in some way, that it's not quite what it was supposed to be. And whether you know that or not from scripture, whether you're a person of faith or not, you know that any kind of work that you do, 
whether it's paid or unpaid, whether it's work in the home, in relationships with children, or it's work uh, in the marketplace, or in any kind of work with your hands, work with your mind, work behind a desk, work on a shop floor, work teaching people. All of it is beautiful and broken, and you will encounter difficulty in the work that you're doing. Our world, in a sense, proves what the scriptures told us thousands of years ago, that work is this cursed blessing. And yet, in that same third chapter, at the very beginning of the story, the writers of the Bible tell us that God had a plan to change that, to actually redeem and heal everything that was broken, including our life's work. And and spoiler alert, the way he did it was by sending his son, Jesus, into the world. And it's interesting, one of the ways they describe, the writers of the Bible describe the work of Jesus, in fact, Jesus himself describes it this way is, I am making all things new. I'm making all things new, including work. That because of Jesus, everything that was made beautiful, but also now has become broken, is being healed and restored and made new. And that includes our life's work through Jesus. The passage I want to read uh, today or want us to listen to today is a a, a letter written to, uh, it was around 40 or 50 AD, so just a few years after Jesus had uh, been crucified and was raised to life. And there was this new community of uh, Jesus followers, people who were now beginning to see their lives in totally new ways because of who Jesus was, what he had said, and what he had done. And one of the earliest kind of uh, pastors or writers to the uh, uh, church leaders was writing this letter to this church, explaining to them something that was so significant, really actually about their life's work. It's maybe not a passage you've ever heard before, or if you've never read the Bible, of course, you never heard it before. But even if you have, maybe you didn't realize this has everything to do with my work. It starts out in a very kind of uh, strange place. It doesn't sound at all like something about work. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. But it lands in, I think, one of the most profound and powerful ideas about what it means to have resilience in our life's work. So have a listen. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The writer of this letter is the Apostle Paul. And he's writing it to a group of people who were having discussions and debates. It's kind of half a conversation, really, like that's what these letters are, because we assume there was something on the other side that he was addressing, but we only have this letter. 
But we know from what he's writing that they were arguing, oh, is there really such a thing as a resurrection of the dead? That seems strange, you know, and they're having all these, uh, you know, people now in their lives who are dying, but now there's this new idea because of the resurrection of Jesus that maybe somehow there would be a resurrection for those who died as well. And they're saying, well, how's that going to work? The, some of them, the bodies, maybe they had a, a sickness or a disease or they got killed by something. Like, what are they just going to, the body's going to come on the ground and like people are saying, how's this going to happen, right? And maybe, maybe you have had those questions as well. And Paul begins to write to them and saying, no, you're thinking about this all wrong. But it's a conversation about the resurrection of our lives, of all things, based on the resurrection of Jesus. And it's so interesting that he's arguing from the resurrection of Jesus. Now, everything has changed. Not only the way we see ourselves and our bodies, not only this whole world, but even our work as well. In fact, by the time he gets to the end of the argument in the letter, the implication is about our life's work. And here's what's so fascinating. You would think that the, if the argument is, hey, you know what? Even when you die, don't worry, you're going to get a new body. There'll be a new resurrection. There's a new earth coming that people would say, okay, great. Like, then it doesn't matter what you do with this one. Don't worry. Like, don't bother rearranging the deck chairs and the Titanic people. It's going down, right? Don't bother saving it. <laughs> you know, if like somebody tells you, hey, oh, I broke something. Oh, don't worry. I'll get you a new one. Oh, okay. Just throw away the old one because it's broken. <laughs> That's what we think. And there are actually many Christians who might not say it that way, but have that view of people say, oh, don't worry. There's heaven coming. There's a new creation. There's a resurrection coming. Doesn't, don't bother trying to fix what's broken today. And yet, the Apostle Paul here and the New Testament writers and the followers of Jesus were so convinced of the opposite. <laughs> in fact, they said, if it's true that Jesus has risen from the dead, which we, we saw him with our own eyes after we saw him die, we ate breakfast with him, then it's true also that the same thing will happen to us and that this whole world will be made new, then everything you do now matters. It actually has injected and infused our whole lives in the present day with a new kind of meaning and purpose, including our work. And if you notice at the end of the passage, it says this, he uses these words, the work of the Lord or your labor in the Lord. It's the very end, verse 58. Now, just a moment as we talk about what does he mean, the work of the Lord, your labor in the Lord. I think this is to say, look, He's not talking, what we're going to talk about today is not any dream that you have is a good dream and God wants you to have it and any goal. Because you know what? There can be all kinds of dreams and goals that we have that are about acquiring money, acquiring fame, acquiring power, um, about sort of uh, maybe trying to prove something to our parents who never believed in us or prove something uh, who they wanted us to do this and now we're doing that. Prove something to ourselves or to the world that we can do this. All the doubters, all the haters, like those can be actually very unhealthy <laughs> Uh, dreams and pursuits and goals. And the fuel for those things can be very unhealthy. And you can end up a very broken person, even if you get the money, the fame, the power, the proof, and the success that you hope to have. So that's not what's being talked about here. But what it is saying is this, God is at work in the world and you and I are invited to join him with our work. God is at work in the world and you and I are invited to join him in our work. That's what he means by he says, the work of the Lord, your labor of, in the Lord. Which is to say, the dreams that you and I have 
for creativity, productivity, innovation, justice, healing, helping, serving others, productivity, creating new things, seeing the world change and grow, seeing the things that are broken in the way that people relate to each other in the workplace or in the way managers manage or leaders lead or politicians lead or the way that um, units of, of uh, productivity are measured or the way things are created, the way innovation is done, the way things are bought and sold. Our desires to see those things become better, to become changed and whole and healed, so to see the people who work in those places and who work with us become better and healed and whole. That is the work of God in all ways. All kinds of work we do is the work of God. And this letter, Paul says, changes how we see. The resurrection changes how we see work. And he begins by saying, I want you to think about your work like it's seed. And, and this analogy of seed would have been very familiar to the group of people there. Um, they, many of them would have been farmers. Many of them would have grown up on farms. Many of them would have worked on farms and known. And he says, you know seed. Seed is scattered. It's sown. It's actually, and, it, and it's, sometimes it's trampled on, but it's thrown onto the ground and it gets pushed underground into a kind of a cold wet, dark place, sometimes covered with manure, you know, and that's what happens to seed. It's sown like that. It's pushed in to the ground. He's saying you need to think of your work like it's seed. Think of your work like it's seed. Seed that's small, that seems insignificant, that's sometimes uh, hard to see, that's scattered about, that's pushed into the ground into a dark and lonely place and covered with a bunch of manure. And you're like, hey, you've been to my workplace, <laughs> right? Many of us can feel like that's what my work feels like, or that's what my dreams have felt like, scattered, trampled on, small, insignificant, forgotten, buried, nobody sees it. it. I feel dark, I feel lonely, or my school, or my work, like, and it's kind of cold, and I have to deal with a lot of manure that's piled on top, right? We can feel like that about our life's work, about our dreams. But Paul says, think about it. Imagine if it's seed. What happens to a seed? What is it? It's small, right? It's, it looks insignificant. And it's buried into the ground, deep in, where it's cold and dark, and it's covered over with a bunch of manure. <laughs> He says, think about your work like that. I know it seems small, your dreams. I know they seem lost in a bigger world. I know that that's it. it and it's pushed down and it's seed and it's buried. But if it's seed, that's incredibly significant. If it's seed, it means that something actually is happening underground while it's being planted. If it's seed, it means it's not the end, it's the beginning. And over time, while you wait for days and months and years, something significant is happening. He so said, think about your life's work like that, because what happens to seed over time? Eventually, it grows into something beautiful. Something completely new. 
I mean, that seed that I pushed into the ground was a sunflower seed. It looks nothing like the sunflower. The sunflower is beautiful and new, completely different than what was pushed into the ground. What was buried seemed small, unnoticeable, monochromatic, cold, alone. Manure piled on top. He said, but what comes out is something totally new. And his argument is this, because of the resurrection of Jesus, because we know that this life is not all there is, that there is actually a life to come. And we can see our life's work now, though it feels small, though it feels insignificant, though it feels difficult, though it sometimes feels alone, though it sometimes feels dark, though it sometimes feels like we got to deal with a lot of manure piled on top. It is not the end of our life's work, of our dreams, of our goals. It is the beginning. And in the life to come, after there is something new and beautiful coming. His point is, if this life is not all there is, if there is another life coming, and if our work is seed, then we need to see our work in this life as a season of planting, investing, sowing, so that something beautiful will come later, right? This is only part one. (laughs) The dreams, the goals, the desires, every bit of energy, talent, um, purpose, money, investment, pursuit, getting up after you've been knocked down, pushing through obstacles, obstacles and criticism and failure. All of it is part one. You haven't seen anything yet. It's just the planting, the investing, and something beautiful is coming, even while it's buried and underground. He says it feels like it's dying, right? He says a seed falls to the ground and dies. Well, we actually know a seed isn't dead. It's very alive, but it feels like it's dead. It feels like dying, even though it's planting. And under the ground, it is brimming with life until a moment where it springs up into something completely new. And I want to just pause here. The band's going to lead us in a song that uh, may be familiar to many of us, but it really gets into this picture of how God is taking the things that we have invested with energy and time and sweat and blood and tears that feels like things or dreams or pursuits that have gone unnoticed, that have been small, that have seemed insignificant, or that have fallen to the ground and died. Where it's past the point of no return, where the dreams are over, we've had to let go of them. That God is doing something beautiful with the things we've invested. And so as you listen or sing, I want you to think about your life, your life's work, whether it's paid work or unpaid work, whether it's part-time or full-time, whether most of it is still ahead of you, whether you're right in the thick of it or most of it is behind you. What does it mean because of the fact that we worship a Savior who was dead and was raised to new life, that the same can be true about our work? i 
Even more amazing than the fact that what we are doing now and planting will bring new life in the future. This analogy of seed also tells us something else really significant about our work. Like if you think about the sunflower seed and the sunflower, the difference between what is sown and what is raised up, what is new, there's a connection between them. There is. Like, the, the sunflower seed actually appears in the sunflower later on. The sunflower itself has far more seeds in it. There's, so there's a continuity between them. 
And yet the sunflower is nothing like the seed. It's totally new. Is it continuous? Are they connected? Absolutely. There's a continuity between what was planted and what comes up. And yet the sunflower is brand new. It is something totally different and new than the seed. And that is so significant when we think about our life's work. What you do now in this life is going to be very different than what is in the life to come, the new kind of work, but they are connected. There is a continuity between our work now and something beautiful that comes in the end, but there is also transformation. There's a connection. It's something small, but it's connected to what comes up new. And yet what comes up new is completely transformed. And that is true about our life's work now. There's a connection between what we do now and what's to come. It matters. And yet we can have faith and know that the things we dream about in our hearts that are, that are beautiful and so much bigger than what we plant and what seems to die are connected to what will come in the life to come. I want you to listen to a short story by J.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, a story that brings home this uh, picture of what this means to realize that there is a connection between the work we do now and the work that we will see in the life to come in a story called Leaf by Nagel. In the first lines of the story, we are told two things about this painter. First, his name was Niggle. The Oxford English Dictionary defines Niggle as to work in a fiddling or ineffective way, to spend time unnecessarily on petty details. Niggle was a perfectionist, always unhappy with what he had produced and often distracted from more important issues by fussing over less important details, prone to worry and procrastination. We are also told that Niggle had a long journey to make, he did not want to go. Indeed, the whole idea was distasteful to him, but he could not get out of it. Niggle continually put the journey off, but he knew it was inevitable. In Anglo-Saxon literature, the necessary long journey was death. Niggle had one picture in particular that he was trying to paint. He had gotten in his mind the picture of a leaf, and then that of a whole tree, and then, in his imagination, behind the tree, a country began to open out, and there were glimpses of a forest marching over the land and of mountains tipped with snow. Niggle lost interest in all his other pictures, and in order to accommodate his vision, he laid out a canvas so large he needed a ladder. Niggle knew he had to die, but he told himself, at any rate, I shall get this one picture done, my real picture, before I have to go on that wretched journey. So he worked on his canvas, putting in a touch here and rubbing out a patch there, but he never got much done. There were two reasons for this. First, it was because he was the sort of painter who can paint leaves better than trees. He used to spend a long time on a single leaf, trying to get the shading and the sheen and the dewdrops on it just right. So no matter how hard he worked, very little actually showed up on the canvas itself. The second reason was his kind heart. Niggle was constantly distracted by doing things his neighbor asked him to do. In particular, his neighbor Parrish, who did not appreciate Niggle's painting at all, asked him to do many things for him. 
One night, when Niggle senses, rightly, that his time is almost up, Parrish insists that he go out into the wet and cold to fetch a doctor for his sick wife. As a result, he comes down with a chill and fever, and while working desperately on his unfinished picture, the driver comes to take Niggle on the journey he has put off. And when he realizes he must go, he bursts into tears. Oh dear, said poor Niggle, beginning to weep, and it's not even finished. Sometime after his death, the people who acquired his house noticed that on his crumbling canvas, his only one beautiful leaf had remained intact. It was put in the town museum, and for a long while, leaf by Niggle hung there in a recess and was noticed by a few eyes. But the story does not end there. After death, Niggle is put on a train toward the mountains of the heavenly afterlife. At one point on his trip, he hears two voices. One seems to be Justice, the severe voice which says that Niggle wasted so much time and accomplished so little in life. But the other, gentler voice, though it was not soft, which seems to be mercy, counters that Niggle has chosen to sacrifice for others, knowing what he was doing. As a reward, when Niggle gets to the outskirts of the heavenly country, something catches his eye. He runs to it, and there it is. Before him stood the tree, his tree, finished. Its leaves opening, its branches growing and bending in the wind that Niggle had often felt or guessed, and yet had so often failed to catch. He gazed at the tree, and slowly he lifted his arms and opened them wide. It is a gift, he said. The world before death, his old country, had forgotten Niggle almost completely, and there his work had ended unfinished and helpful to only a very few. But in his new country, the permanently real world, he finds that his tree, in full detail and finished, was not just a fancy of his that had died with him. No, it was indeed part of the true reality that would live and be enjoyed forever. Listen to how author and pastor Timothy Keller describes the significance of that story to your work and my work today. Everyone imagines accomplishing things, and everyone finds himself or herself largely incapable of producing them. Everyone wants to be successful rather than forgotten, and everyone wants to make a difference in life. But that is beyond the control of any of us. If this life is all there is, then everything will eventually burn up in the death of the sun and no one will even be around to remember anything that has ever happened. Everyone will be forgotten. Nothing we do will make any difference and all good endeavors, even the best, will come to naught. Unless there is God. If the God of the Bible exists and there is a true reality beneath and behind this one, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling can matter forever. Whatever your work, you need to know this. There really is a tree. Whatever you are seeking in your work, the city of justice and peace, the world of brilliance and beauty, the story, the order, the healing, it is 
there. There is a God. There is a future healed world that he will bring about. And your work is showing it in part to others. Your work will be only partially successful on your best days in bringing that world about. But inevitably, the whole tree that you seek, the beauty, harmony, justice, comfort, joy, and community will come to fruition. Do you hear what he's saying? It's the same thing that the Apostle Paul is arguing for in this passage. The dreams and desires and goals that are in our hearts have been planted there by God as he invites us to join him in his work of creativity and productivity and beauty and healing and restoration and love and serving other people. It is all there. It is actually proof that God is like that. It is proof that we have been created by God because that is in our hearts to do. And every bit of pursuit and energy and time and talents and sweat and tears that we give in that direction is not a waste of time because it is planting something in the ground that though today team seems small and is insignificant and trampled on and met with obstacles and criticism and failures and shortcomings is actually all along getting ready to break out into new life in the life to come. We don't just then have hope for what our life's work and our dreams and our goals will produce in the future. We have a reason to know that everything we do now matters. It matters to God and it matters to the world. Therefore, Paul says at the very end of this whole passage, <laughs> be resilient. Stand firm, he says. Let nothing move you. Don't be knocked off your goals. Don't be pushed aside. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully. Don't hold back to the work of the Lord, to the things God has called you to do, to the dreams that he's put in your heart, the desires to see what would happen to the people and the work in this world if you would put your energy and time and talents in. Don't give up. Don't let anything move you. Give yourself fully because you know it's not in vain. None of it is a waste. So don't give up. You know, as I was writing this, just praying for you, praying for myself in this, because we're all finding ourselves somewhere in this spectrum, whether we're, like I said, most of our work lies ahead of us still. Maybe we're in school, we're studying, maybe we're in the thick of it. Maybe much of it, we would say formally, is behind us. And rather than have you do something in response to this, I want you to receive something today. <laughs> kind of like, you know, if we can overuse the analogy, to receive something like this, these truths, like seed, to go into your heart and birth something new in you about your life's work, about your goals, about your dreams, about your desires. And so what I want to do is actually read blessings over you um, for different people who might be in different places. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is you're listening. Um, it, to, if this is a blessing for you, just, just receive it. First of all, if you work with children, if you're a parent or an educator or a childcare worker or in some other way you work uh, with children, here's what I want to bless you with. And, and if that's you, you can just kind of put your hands out um, to receive it. May Jesus, 
the one who said that children are first in his kingdom, give you grace, wisdom, patience, creativity, and faith as you invest in the next generation. Trust God that what you are teaching them and how you are loving them today will result in new and beautiful things in their lives in the future. Amen. If you're a student, part-time, full-time, you're studying, you're planning, you're taking school to get somewhere else, this is for you. May the dreams and desires you have or will have for your future work be shaped and reshaped by God into something more beautiful and more real than you could ever imagine. May God bless you with determination to push through obstacles and peace to trust him with whatever is out of your control. Amen. For those of you that would say, oh, my work is toxic. Either the work itself I do or the environment and the people I work with or work for or who work for me. If that's you, receive this. May you become more aware of just how present Jesus, your Lord and healer is at your workplace. May he protect your heart from getting hard, defend you against opposition and heal you from fear or self-doubt. At the same time, may he make you an agent of healing, blessing and goodness to your team, your bosses and your coworkers. Amen. If your work, if you'd say, my work is boring, it's just a paycheck, it's just a means to an end, I find no life in it, this is for you. May God who created everything out of nothing fill your mind and heart with his spirit of creativity to see all the ways that you can bring life out of emptiness. May you be gripped by a conviction that will not let you go, <laughs> that what you are doing now matters to God and is connected to something beautiful in the future. Amen. For those of you that say, my work, my dreams are not what I had hoped they would be. Things haven't materialized in the way I hoped. Maybe it's in the past. And maybe you're not sure. But it's not what you hope to be. This is for you. May you have hope that your dreams, desires, and goals, whether they seem impossible, improbable, or past their due date, are growing under the surface even now. Know in your heart that everything you have done in their pursuit is a seed planted that will grow into something new. Amen. Got three more here. For those of you who say your work is stressful, demanding, and overwhelming, Maybe it's always been or it is right now. This is for you. May God who put limits on every day and rested every seven days help you know and accept your limits. May Jesus speak peace to the chaos inside your head and heart so that you are free to hear his voice telling you what to do, how to do it, and when to stop doing it. And may the resurrection power of Jesus restore strength and give you perseverance to bear up underneath your work. Amen. For those of you where your work has become too much of who you are, it consumes too much of your thoughts and your mind, and it's, it's a source of pride or identity for you. This is for you. 
May you know how valuable and loved you are because of who you are and not because of what you do. May God increase your vision beyond your work to see the places and spaces and people that he has for you to invest in. May you be freed from the appeal of present rewards and convinced of the true reality that is yours in the life to come. And then lastly, if you are retired, if most of those working years or formal years are behind you, this is for you. May you be filled with joy as you look back on your working life, knowing that all of it mattered, that every act of kindness sacrifice, problem-solving, creativity, and productivity is still growing even if you can't see it. Remember that your work is not over, that you are still planting seeds until your last breath on earth. And may you be a champion of resilience to the generations that are coming after you. Amen. Take me over
Draw me closer to your heart. 